Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. And this week, I want to share something with you that our colleagues over at Radiolab have made for kids. It's a podcast series called Terrestrials, and it's all about finding wonder, comfort, and rebelliousness in nature. We're going to share a little bit of one of my favorite episodes of Terrestrials and a conversation I had with Lulu Miller, the co-host of Radiolab, who led its creation. When we talked, she told me the podcast comes from a very personal place for her. She's a newish parent herself. Her kids are four and one and a half. And during the first phases of the pandemic, when the world seemed to be breaking down, Lulu found herself looking to nature for answers. She was surprised, though, that this led her to make a show for kids. Because she told me before having them herself, she really felt like she didn't get them. I was the youngest in my whole extended family. I did not babysit. Like, I did not know what kids were. I was really (laughs) creeped out and intimidated by kids. Um, So I had massive questions on if I would know what I was doing, if I would like it, uh, if I could do it. Like, big, big, like, what's a kid questions. Were you someone who always knew you wanted to be a parent? I did, yeah. There were certainly times where I thought maybe it wasn't going to happen because, um, you know, I was like, I was single in my 30s and then fell in love with a woman. And like, there were just, there were, I think I always knew I wanted to. And there were moments where I was like, oh, is this not going to happen? And then, um, and then it did happen. And like, what, what did you notice how like parenting and parenting specifically during a pandemic, like, did you notice it um, change your creative appetites in your work? Hugely. Yeah. I think it's been the biggest creative shift in my life. I think um, I think I went into it, I had kids somewhat late. I had, uh, I was 36 once I got pregnant. And I, so I think I went into it with like the lowest, lowest, lowest of low expectations. Mm. I, I think I had a worst case scenario in my head of like, I'll never have time to do work and I won't want to. And I'll be too scattered and worried and parasitized. My brain will be parasitized and and I'll be a zombie and I won't be able to work. And mm. I think part of me waited in part just because of the life journey I took, but I think I also wanted to just be okay if I, like, never did anything creative again, which is, which I think now I see is, like, this cultural message we get that's really toxic. And in certain ways, it is realistic. There is a big change. And I think what happened was just watching our first son wake into the world, have questions, mix up names, misidentify things, play with language— and seeing the potential in their their minds and, like, how much they love a good story. They like some fear. They like real humor. I just think of them as these, like, psychedelic beings that I want to entertain. And I want to inhabit their brain a little bit more, too. And that was my big change. I kind of thought kids I had a really patronizing view of them. Like, you got to use dumb, simple words uh-huh. and keep it real easy and safe. And actually living intimately in a household with two of them, it's like, no, they're drawn to fear. They're drawn to questions. They're they're drawn to the hard stuff and real humor. And and so I think suddenly 
living with them and liking them made me get actually hungry about creating work for them. Oh, that's so, it's, it's interesting that you're, the great fear before becoming a parent, you used the word parasitic, like you thought it was going to like being a, becoming mm. a parent would like suck away your ability to 100%. be productive. And then yeah. now you describe this like pull to like inhabit their tiny brains, like be your own kind of parasite on their wonder. And I child-like. am. Oh, I am. I'm the worst. I'm parasiting their wonder. I mean, literally, um, I, I, I will, I will give him credit. Uh, and, but uh, like I, like my my older kid, um, one day my wife, like a, two years ago, my wife was like, who's your favorite? I don't know why she said this. I think she was fishing. She was like, who's your favorite person in the world? And he paused and he goes, and he's very, he is very into trucks. Still is, always has been. Trucks are his thing. Um, and he just pauses and he goes, trucky roads. <laughs> and we were like, what? Like, who's Trucky Rhodes? Is he a character? We looked him up. He's not. And so he, like, invented Trucky Rhodes, who then became this, like, character in our lives and now is a, a pitched as a children's book that is coming out soon. Wait, and, are like, you serious? The hundred percent. Like, it's Trucky co- Rhodes is coming. You're Trucky manifesting Rhodes is Trucky com- Rhodes? Like, I, I wrote a book for him for Christmas, like, because I wanted to bring Trucky Rhodes to life. And he's just, like, a super generic construction dude. And he, like— he sees different kinds of trucks. Anyway, I wrote the book just out of fun to like entertain my kid and make Trucky Roads real. And then I was like, this is half decent. And then we and then I pitched it. But like he invented that. I'm just like, yeah, I'm ripping them off. I'm just parasiting <laughs> off their, you know, yeah, what they see, what they want to see, their ideas. Like I'm, yes, I am the parasite. And they're parasitic too. And as you started thinking about like what you wanted to make in your work, yeah. And you're thinking about those ideas. You're watching you're watching this happen in your home with your children. Um how did you come to think like I want to make something for young listeners? I want to make something for young ears that's going to help them experience this universe with Yeah, experience experience this universe. Like where where did that come from? I think that it was like February and it we were in the heart of the pandemic. And I was starved. Like, I was starved for nature. Like, I just wanted to look, I wanted to fill my ears with leaves and animals, and I wanted to look there. But I also knew that doing that in a time of, like, pandemic, social unrest, like, so much going on almost felt irresponsible as an adult journalist Mm. to just go tell stories about flowers, you know? Um, and and then I suddenly thought, like, a comment we get time and time again at Radiolab is, like, more wonder, more science. Oh, I really loved this. You know, can you make a feed that's just for kids where you're not going to accidentally hear something <laughs> really tough? And so I knew that there was the hunger there. Like, we, Radiolab had made a Radiolab for kids feed at the beginning of the pandemic uh-huh. because parents were asking for stuff to listen to. And so there was hunger. And then I kind of just thought, like, what would it sound like to make something for kids and and try to not do it in a patronizing way, but just do it in a way that's like, I'm your camp counselor. Want to hang out with me? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so, well, you know what that makes me think about, Lulu, is it makes me think about how, like, I don't know if this is actually true, but I I do notice that since I've become a parent, I take in a lot more media about nature. Like hmm. there's just 
that's what you, that's what children's books are about. Like animals, yeah. nature, like look at this world around us. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that you felt the nature pull first and then you were like, kids can be my excuse. <laughs> I mean, that kids is the programming. Tr- abs- <laughs> that is the truth. Like that is the truth. Like I was hungry. I was starved in, in, in ways sort of literal and spiritual. Yeah. And I, so as you like, when you finally gave yourself permission to fully be the like camp counselor guide yeah. Um, yeah. on these episodes and make this thing, when you were picturing who was listening to you, who did you picture? I think in a weird way, like myself as a 10 year old, uh-huh. um, who was like, who was outwardly very chipper and trying to delight everyone around her, but inwardly very, like, really struggling and and struggling in particular with the sense that our world is known and flat and humans are cruel and there's just, there's gravity and you can't escape and there's no magic. And so I think in a certain way, it's like that grumpy, sad kid who's convinced this place sucks trying to be like, it doesn't entirely if you look close, if you keep asking questions, you might see that we don't have it all figured out. And and I don't know, that for me has always, to this day, creates a feeling of possibility that, like, is very crucial <laughs> to me, to, to, to feeling okay. So I think it's kind of trying to cheer up that little kid who's, like, not trying to look kiddy but might appreciate it in their room by themselves or on a walk. Um out in the world with some headphones, like really not telling anyone else they're listening, but listening, (laughs) grateful for it. And maybe this, it seems like the logic of this is very clear to you, but it, to me, it's sort of, it's very interesting. Like the idea that there are exceptions to the rules is something that is relieving and like hugely. Yeah. and, And why is that? Why are the rules to young you and to current you like feel bleak? This was kind of the upbringing I had with a scientist father and what I actually do believe uh, today. But it's just like there's no – there's just your time on earth. It's all random. There isn't inherently meaning. There's just the meaning maybe you make, but that's all ultimately constructed. We're all going to die. Humans, like all animals, are inherently wired to be greedy and like – I don't know. There's just a bleak – there's like a pointlessness if you if you, if you you look at a it. Nihilism. You, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, nihilism. Totally. Um, which, of course, like when you're fed right and rested and, and grow up with a backbone and some confidence, nihilism can be amazing. Carpe diem, seize a day, like everything, you know, every, nothing means anything, like whatever. But but when you're struggling, when you're sunken, when you're not sure of yourself or your chances or like when you see people being horrifically cruel to people you love or to yourself, like it is, you know, we all know the nihilism thing can be hard on a hard day. Um, and it could be a reason not to go on, like literally. It's just like, okay, well, if nothing matters and I happen to be inhabiting a body and a brain that makes life hurt a lot, like why be here, you know? And that's fair and that's valid. And and I think for me, seeing moments where like the world doesn't behave in the way you thought it did actually shows not so much that there are exceptions, but it's just like these reminders that we actually don't know the rules. We actually like, you know, whether it's we do an episode about a mule having a baby, which 
Yeah. You know, mules are supposed They're to be supposed sterile. To. <laughs> That's like the whole thing. That's the whole, one of the most primal, fundamental laws of nature is like a mule is a product of a donkey and a horse, two different species. And yeah, you can engineer a hybrid that maybe you make a mule. But then nature has barriers in place that will not allow it to carry on. And that's just how nature, that's just what a species is. It's it's isolated from other species. And But then every now and then there's a mule that has a baby. And like, we went and met that baby. That's not supposed to happen. After the break, an excerpt of one of my favorite episodes of Terrestrials about surfing. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Terrestrials is a new series for kids from our colleagues over at Radiolab. And one episode I really loved introduced me to A.J. Dungo, a graphic novelist and surfer. Did you grow up loving the water? No. I, no, no, not at all. I was uh, terrified. I would just sort of sink. The feeling of starting to swallow water and trying to open your eyes in chlorinated water and it just burns. It wasn't fun to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, how did you finally get past that? That would be my uh, late partner, Kristen. Late? meaning she got sick and passed away. We were high school sweethearts, and she was this fearless, confident, beautiful surfer. And she didn't stop surfing, even after she had a surgery that made her lose her leg. I think it was seeing her pick up a board and go out and charge with a smile on her face and ruin her prosthetic leg in the process. I was like, man. When you're in the presence of someone like that, you want to do stuff to impress them, obviously. So he finally put his fear of water aside, hopped onto a surfboard, and wobbly tried to stand so that Kristen would think he was cool. Yeah. (laughs) So we learn how surfing became something AJ could do to connect with his grief and memories of Kristen. And because Lulu is telling this story, we also learn about the history of surfing in 19th century Hawaii and how it works when standing on water seems to break all the rules. Here's a little more of that episode. Okay, and now I'm going to turn to my scary page in my notebook where I've been scribbling things um, about the physics of surfing mm-hmm. because and trying to understand what's, what's going on that allows humans to stand on water. Do you have any understanding of how the heck it is possible scientifically or so there's, there, how it works? There's a few important things to have a rideable wave. The first thing would be swell. Swell. <laughs> AJ explains there are so many factors at play. The swell of the wave, the speed of the wave, the slope of the ocean floor, the size of your surfboard. Your height, your weight. Your body type. How gravity is pushing down and buoyancy is pushing up and thrust is pushing forward and drag is going back. Another factor is wind. So if there's wind blowing out to sea, that's the sort of condition that you really hope for. That's weird. Wouldn't wind coming from the sand slow the wave down and and, and kill its mojo? Well, that's kind of like what you want because if you have onshore winds, which is the wind blowing towards you, there's nothing to hold up the water to make it into that perfect curl, that that crest 
And if you zoom into that crest, this is where things get really wild. Because it turns out, in a wave, most of the water particles aren't really moving that much. The particles in the water are kind of staying in place, and this mysterious orb of energy is just passing through, Hmm. making it seem like it's undulating. Except, AJ explains, at the crest. The little white part that you see, that's where the water particles are undergoing their greatest acceleration. And that makes them faster than the underlying wave. So they're shooting, like they're flying off the top of the wave before falling under gravity's influence. So they just get like a momentary break from gravity? Yeah, they, they're they sort of in their own moment. That is thrilling to think that for a moment, that tip of the water, the crest, the white part where it's breaking, there is an escape, not just in a spiritual way. Mm. Not just in an emotional way, but like physically. Yeah, you can see it. Like you can visually see them rushing ahead of the rest of the wave. That's AJ Dungo talking to Radiolab's Lulu Miller from the episode of Terrestrials called The Water Walker. You can find the whole terrestrial series in the podcast feed called Radiolab for Kids, and there's also a link in our show notes. Give it a listen. I think you'll like it, whether you're a kid or not. Tracy Hunt produced this episode. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.